Welcome to the podcast. We talk about sustainability. We touch on organizations and people that are doing the right thing. Today we speak with Thomas, Thomas Power of Pura Aventura. Um, I read an article in The Independent, which is a UK newspaper. The title, Are Carbon Labels the Next Big Thing in Sustainable Travel? Now, Tom contributed to the article. His company is a certified B corporation. And Tom has very strong opinions about what companies really should be doing in terms of sustainability. Oh my God, this is happening. This is now an acute risk to our investment portfolio. And unless a company is actively managing climate risk, they are failing in their fiduciary duty. An incredibly nice conversation with Tom, and here he is. Thank you very much for doing this, by the way. Much, much appreciated. It's okay. I, um, yeah, I'm always happy to share an opinion or whatever opinions I've got. Yeah. Um, and I I very much enjoyed the conversation with Helen um, that went into the independent. Just she, she kind of gave more space, I think, to the issues around labelling than normally happens. Absolutely, yeah. I thought it was a very good article. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, yeah, anything that comes from that, I think, could be, could be interesting for firing up the debate. Absolutely. And I read a bit about your background as well. Uh, I traveled through South America myself uh, and I saw you hitchhiked uh, just like I did, but I did it in Colombia. You did it in Argentina, I believe. Uh, so People don't hitchhike anymore, do they? Not, uh, not anymore. No, I must say they stopped me as a point as well by a police stop and they asked me for all my money. And I said, no, I don't have any money. So uh, they, they let me go. But I'm sure they would have just pocketed the money if I would have given it to them. So... But, you know, Colombia is a bit dangerous, I suppose. Uh, I don't know, Argentina, uh, you know. No, Argentina was the, fir- that was the first bit of the journey was from from Chile across, to, to Torres del Paine across into Argentina. I mean, this was early 90s. So it was, you know, it was still very, very much within touching distance of the Falklands and the yeah. Malvinas. How old are you? Oh, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so a lot of the Argentinian ships left from right down there, there in the south. And, yeah. you know, so a lot of the kids that were conscripted were from there. You know, it was a very raw subject. And uh, so I got a lift out of Chile and was dropped at a checkpoint in <laughs> Argentina to wait for my next... Uh, lift. So I was just standing there with my backpack at my feet and, you know, nobody, nothing around. And this enormous policeman with a sort of dark glasses and a big... <laughs> 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 and you thought all... you were going to end up in jail or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, I've seen Midnight Express and it doesn't yeah. end well. No, it right? doesn't. So... No, it doesn't. No. Well, actually, Midnight I mean, Express ended quite well. He came back to the, to the US, didn't he? I mean, hey... <laughs> But he sort of walks over slowly and looking me up and down this sort of dirty, dirty hiker, hitchhiker. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, oh, you know, where are you from? And I thought, oh, I should, <laughs> I want to lie, but I shouldn't. You said the Falklands. <laughs> I'm from the Falklands, what you said, right? <laughs> I wanted to say I'm Canadian, but I couldn't, I couldn't lie. Yeah. And uh, so, so I said, well, um, I'm, I'm British. 
<laughs> slow kind of but, yeah these huge dark yeah, massive glasses sure. you can't see his eyes probably either <laughs> see the eyes dilating and uh and he said hmm what about the malvinas um, malvinas well the, the the war you know the oh, the war, ah, the war, ah, the war. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and i thought i said it was a tragedy and he nodded he nodded yes did he give you a lift in the end or what? And then he and he flagged down a truck that was going by. Really? Said, give this give this guy a lift. Oh, that's very nice. That's the best thing <laughs> yeah. that can happen to you. It's a good story. Yeah, all right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good but story. There a, there's a few times when the right word is really important. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like that was one. Yeah, that that was obviously. Yeah, yeah. My fiance is actually she was born in Paraguay from Italian parents, and she has family all over the place and she was there at the same time as as you were she was in Bariloche at uh, at that point uh, that's why her family uh, lives so and uh, well there was there were scared I think at that point you know because you know of the war but you know it happens happens you know yeah what can I say they were kids most of them were 19 year olds and yeah. conscripts and I mean it was you know it was awful and then yeah. you know verging on war crimes committed by the government here and thinking you know the belgrano was a questionable event yeah it was all so, war is always questionable as far as i'm concerned hey, well, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a war it was a conflict i think a conflict there you, go. there you go there you go it might have become different. it might have come because of the economical situation as well because i think they just tried to divert attention from their city situation they were in to be honest with but, you oh uh, yeah you know, just yeah, before I mean, everyone was just being used. Yeah, 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 yeah. As as happens, as it happens. Um, anyway, I saw your article or the article that you contributed to. It was very, very, very interesting. And uh, should we start with, with the questions? Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, I've um, I glanced at your questions uh, on email, but haven't really no haven't prepared anything or so no, no that's just... that's absolutely fine. It's better, it's better just to have a conversation as well. I'll just uh, you know right. see see where we where we where we end up. So um, you, you inter introduced I saw um, labels for itineraries um, part of preparation to become a certified B corporation. Um, not sure what that is, by the way. Is that one of those certifications already or? The B Corporation is something that's been around for around, I guess, 20 years or so. Okay. Really started in the States um, and has moved over here. It is it is the only certification as to sort of ethical business, basically. Mm. Okay. So it covers all aspects of business. You certify on five different legs of business from customers to community, workers, environment and governance so they go into they deep dive into every part of your business mm -hmm. and then you can certify they allow you to certify uh, and part of the certification is you then uh, you change your articles of association okay so you change the legal basis of your business uh, to include so the standard articles of association say that you will act in the best interest of shareholders. Mm -hmm. This is the profit motive. The benefit corporation is run in to the, for the benefit of all stakeholders. So it's commonly referred to as people, planet, and profit. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's a fast-growing organization, things like the Body Shop, Patagonia Clothing, Ben & Jerry's, mm -hmm. Danone, uh guardian media there's a lot of 
a lot of companies uh, out there, 4,000 plus now. Okay, yeah, that's eight, quite... 80, 80 plus billion of revenues yeah. globally. Right, right. So, and, and, and carbon labels is part of that, I take it, or...? Um... It's... The, the certification's not prescriptive, uh, but it encourages you to think about the different angles or aspects of business. And so one of ours... Although, ironically, as a travel business, we are actually defined as a, a service industry with a low environmental footprint, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously scope one and scope two, we are that. But once you start thinking about scope three emissions, mm-hmm. i.e. the flights to go on holiday with us to Patagonia, yeah. then we're anything but low impact environmentally. Yeah. So... So it was part of that, really. It was part of the environmental, looking at the environmental impact of, of what it is that we do. And really that decision to, to internalize the cost of environmental impact that that's basically happens when somebody goes on one of our holidays. Yeah. And rather than everyone else says, you know, that's external the airlines say that's not our problem yeah you know <laughs> so nobody's taking responsibility for it so we're saying well that's somebody's got to yeah so let's start with us right so you don't put it on the client you do it yourself basically correct yeah we we don't label it we didn't add anything on we didn't put prices up to, you didn't put prices up to no, really? okay no we just we just took it as a cost of doing business. You just absorbed it, basically. That's very good. That's amazing, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think the industry as a whole, the travel industry, should proceed? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is to measure. So I suppose the first thing is to acknowledge that it's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. And unless somebody flies to South America or Spain or, you know, we don't have a service to offer. So the first thing is to say, okay, look, in the absence of anyone else taking this responsibility, let's just own it. At that point, you then have to start measuring. So really just just working out what that impact is for, you know, as I say, scope one internally, scope two, our movement, and scope three, our clients' movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, scope three is vastly larger than than the rest. So you start measuring them. From my point of view, I think the first thing we do is we start to to mitigate, so to offset properly, okay, uh, well, and then get to work on reducing, changing, no flight holidays, you know, altering the the fabric of what we do. But but as action to take, you know, immediately after you've measured a number, <laughs> then there is activity you can you can undertake just to get moving, get start slowing the ship down. Right, right. And, and let's go to how you do that because I saw um, you, you you basically carbon compensate one hundred and sixty percent, and I saw planting trees, which is something that I really really like. Uh, also saw funding uh, rewilding projects. Uh, I see you have certain development projects in Nicaragua, I saw as well. Can you tell me a little bit about why 160% and um, how exactly do you divide that? So the 160% was was me trying to be clever. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> explain why. Okay. <laughs> 
And basically, we measure everything by carbon kilometer. Okay. And then we convert it to a mile. Ah. So every kind of carbon kilometer you travel, we say, okay, let's assume you travel the carbon mile. Because, you know, we could spend our lives kind of in spreadsheets working out the last microscopic detail of where somebody lived and, you know, what they ate for lunch that day. But you're never going to get it right. And the idea that in some way, carbon offset or mitigation is an accurate science is also frankly preposterous so get a realistic idea of the of the actual impact and then just overcompensate because you're going to miss stuff uh you know there's going to be some some issue somewhere some of the trees are going to die just go way over the top Mm -hmm. so the truth is actually we we last couple of years we've probably doubled rather than just done 160 Wow. Okay. Because this all this all falls under our one percent for the planet commitment. So that's one percent of all revenues right. go to environmental causes. So we spend up to the one percent. So this is one of my frustrations, actually. I mean, okay, in the travel industry, you know, your ultimately net profitability is is generally fairly low. You know, the the most successful ones will be sort of eight percent but much more normally you're going to be sort of in the four or five percent of net profitability so if you're committing one percent of your revenues to the planet mm-hmm. you're actually committing about a well-run business you're committing 20 percent of your profits right to the planet mm-hmm. i actually think that's okay that's a lot that it? feels like that feels like a sort of a suitable sum to be saying okay look let's take Whatever's left over, we'll take 20% of that and get it back into the planet. If if my business is sharing beautiful parts of the planet, mm-hmm. then I need to give back. We need to give back something to the planet in order that it is there for years and generations to come. You know, that's not a not complicated. Um so <clears throat> that was the Fundamentally, we spend up up to that one percent, um, and you know potentially would go beyond if needs be. Um, the project itself is that we're currently focused on is in is in Nicaragua. That was the dog. I, I heard it. Ventriloquism. <laughs> He's disagreeing with you. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, so the project that we we currently support and focus our energy on, uh, we've gone for one because we feel like we want to have impact and to be able to commit to it. So they're not worrying about, okay, do we have money next year or not? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to create kind of stable long-term relationships with the projects that we support because nature takes time. So the last thing I want is for, you know, we're generous one year and then take away or take away the stepladder the next year. So the energy goes to this taking root project in Nicaragua. Yeah, I I think it's absolutely world class. Uh, I studied international relations back in the day and worked for Oxfam for a period. And so the developmental aspect is critical. There's no point putting trees in the ground if the people who live around and about are starving. Yeah. Or are going hungry. Absolutely, absolutely. Is 
they have every right to chop that tree down to sell it to feed themselves, feed sure. their family, mm-hmm. so or to shoot the animal or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. any environmental work has to be predicated upon sort of bringing the communities along with. So what happens is that you're in a sort of over over farmed, uh, sort of soil depleted, poor part of northern Nicaragua. Mm-hmm which is one of Latin America, if not Latin America's poorest country. So you've got a lot of subsistence farmers who have two to four hectares of land. They are encouraged to give over a percentage of that, 25% or 50% to forestry. So what happens is they will set up a a centre and nursery. Uh, There'll be rural employment provided often for women to go out and harvest native seeds. Mm -hmm and to plant them, grow the saplings. At that point, the farmers come in and they help with the women in the nursery to start growing the trees. Those trees get planted. uh, And then those farmers are, obviously they're trained and the trees are monitored over a 10 year period. So they're given a stipend, they're given funds spread out over the 10 years so that there's a 10 year sort of governance period for that tree. So in that time, they're also being encouraged and helped to plant shade-grown crops, so higher cash crops like coffee. Yep. And they're also being given route to market for harvesting the dead wood. So the, the wood that comes down will be made into artisan goods that then sold out into the international market. So suddenly the trees become a form of income generation. And this is on top of the fact that the trees are then creating enriched soil Yep. For the rest of the farm, there's soil stabilization. So when storms come through, less soil is washed away, there's less damage done. So these are the kind of projects that, yes, it's putting trees in the ground, <clears throat> but, then it's sustainable, but it's pretty, right? putting yeah. the right mm-hmm. trees in the right ground, mm-hmm. in the right way, mm-hmm. over the right kind of time period. And it's phenomenal. You know, It stands on its own as a project, as a development project. It just happens to also be pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah. So, you know, I I I get that a lot of offset schemes are are all about the label and very little about the the actual sort of carbon reduction activity. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's there's a hell of a lot of amazing projects out Absolutely. there that have fully agree. beneficial Sorry. carbon impact. Fully agree, fully agree. Um, well, yeah, I really like that, by the way. Excellent. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I really do. I really do. Because I did tree planting in Canada. I'm, I'm all for uh, for forestry. So, you know, and I, I really like that. Um, I did see, however, a uh, documentary on Netflix, Sea uh, Spiracy. Yeah. And they talk about the Marine Stewardship uh, Council, S, uh, MSC. Basically, oh. they... they Push them down totally. They say these labels, you know, the companies just pay for 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 sustainable label up at a certain point. And um, you know, if you put sustainability labels on hotels and accommodation, and I spoke last year with a gentleman John Telver who went to uh, from Explorer. He went to uh, yeah. to Morocco, 
and uh, he was staying in a hotel there. And and the first thing, you know, that 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 he came into the room and the air conditioning was on full blast, TV was on full blast, showing commercials and whatnot. And he thought, let's just turn this off because I'm, you know, I'm going away for an hour just to explore the neighborhood to come back. He came back and the same thing again. The TV was on full blast, and this was a sustainable hotel they had a label sustainable uh, accommodation and that's why he stayed there because you know like, like you he really he really is into into really supporting sustainable uh, projects and aspects of society yeah. so uh, i'm just wondering if you exchange from this documentary conspiracy if you just exchange the fish label into travel label then you can see a problem if that is organized at a certain point from certain companies' sides, um, that, that companies might just pay for that label at a certain point. And, you know, you see big yeah. problems as opposed to a community that, that really goes to a place and gives a certain rating uh, to, to accommodation or a restaurant or even a community or a city or a beach. Um, I'm just wondering how you see this yourself, if I may ask, of course. <clears throat> uh, you may. Um uh, and I should say, I mean, I know, I know a, a lodge in Costa Rica where almost the opposite happens. It tends to have North American guests who want their air conditioning on all day as they're out. Mm -hmm. So the staff sneak in and switch it off and then sneak oh, back okay. in just before they come back and switch it back on. So, you know, there's this sort of silly ping pong that goes on, whether it's on the, the hotel side or the consumer side, you know, doesn't ultimately matter. Uh, it's just, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the the profusion of labels in the industry and the market and green, you know, five green leaves and this, it, it's it's highly, highly problematic. And I think it's highly problematic because it is it is so open to abuse. Yep. And also, possibly, possibly worse is that uh, it leads to total confusion on the on the part of a consumer. So a consumer, you know, with all the, with the best will in the world is seeking to act responsibly or buy responsibly, buy sustainably. And so they're seeking out these labels. And then the value of that label gets un undermined. And they just think, what am I, what's the point? What's the point? And so, you know, they, they go back to zero. They go back to doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So... And then they will be much more wary in future of believing these labels and so on. So, so yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a really, really powerfully important point that you make here. Um, there are. This is why, actually, I would say that the B Corp thing that we discussed right at the start. That is why the B Corp is significant. Is because it's actually this is not this is not simply an audit or an investigation of one aspect of one part of what you do. It is everything. So it's not to say that you're going to be a kind of the world's most environmentally friendly and best community organized and friendliest customer facing organization. But it does mean that on balance, you have to score certain minimums across all five of the of the legs of the certification in order to get past the magic uh, figure of 80, which is where you can become a, a B Corp. Mm -hmm. um, 
very, very much harder to game that system. Because, of course, even if a hotel, say, a hotel has the best environmental credentials, but it treats its workers like dirt Mm -hmm. and its suppliers are treated like dirt, you don't want to stay there. That doesn't, it doesn't tally, does it? You don't see it sometimes, though, do you? So now, now with a with a B Corp certification, it's it's very very much harder for that to to happen, just because there's there's such a lot of transparency that comes in around that process, and you have to recertify every three years. Right. Plus, there's there's kind of community governance um, from within it. So it's not it's not that it is perfection. It's not that it isn't. You know there aren't flaws within it, but it's it's it is it is not a kind of a label you get to stick on. You earn that. You earn the right to be a B Corp, and you have to keep earning that right over time. Okay. So you, you're, and I think that's yeah. where that's kind of where the travel industry is. There are very few. You know, I've set up this travel by B Corp uh, group within the UK, mm-hmm. precisely to promote the B as a symbol of trust within the travel industry. Hmm. Um, and and that's kind of that's that's interesting. That's that's at its early stages. You know, we only launched back in April 2021. Uh, there are six of us, I think the seventh members just coming on now. When we certified as B Corp back in November 2020, I think we were the fourth in the UK. There are currently in the pipeline waiting to certify or actively in the process of certifying something like 25 or 27 travel companies in the UK. So there's this exponential growth that's coming in Hmm. around B Corp and specifically B Corp within the travel space. That becomes, I think that becomes very interesting but the idea that we can just pop a green hat on and we're okay is, I, I think, has to go out with the, with the arc, and we need. I don't think people want to be associated with businesses that. I mean, I don't think they want to be associated with businesses that are, are pretending or faking it, mm-hmm. and I don't think they want to be associated with businesses that aren't purpose driven, and and you know actually, therefore, frankly pretty much ethical to the core i mean ethical just in terms of decent yep not saying that everyone has to go and wear hemp and and live in a cave but just just acting with acting with decency yeah, so that if you opened up your operations and and everyone could look inside mm-hmm. is there anything in there that would destroy your reputation or your brand or make your customers run away mm-hmm. well if there is then stop doing it I mean, really. So it comes down to transparency, really, at a certain point, doesn't it? Ultimately, if you can't be pretty, pretty bloody transparent, then, then you're not doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're pricing something to your consumers, you should be adding value. You should be you should be able to stand by what you charge to your consumers because you have to be adding approximately that amount of value to their lives. To justify that price, so this idea that you just sort of disguise everything and hide it is is you know is fairly fairly old school now. I 
I think. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you think that's, besides here in the UK, uh, this will go global or what, what do you think? Um... B Corp is very big in Latin America. Right. Uh, it's barely heard of, I believe, over in Asia. In Europe, it's it's fairly big now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was approached last week, or we were approached, I should say, the Travel by B Corp mm-hmm. group. <clears throat> An email came in from a an extremely large and well-known Spanish headquartered chain of department stores and travel agencies. I shall name no names, but anyone who knows Spain or the Latin-speaking world will know who they are, Mm -hmm. asking about this. So this is from their sort of corporate social responsibility department asking about B Corp, what it means, And I think effectively saying, okay, how do we help promote sort of B Corp businesses? Because that all gets us towards the place we want to go in terms of kind of future-proofing our business, um, making it truly ethical. So can we network of 500 travel agencies? Can we start to promote the idea of uh, that, that B Corp is a label that people can, can rely on? Okay. That's exciting. So yeah, I think it's it's growing hmm. fast. Okay. And everything everything points to it. Everything is I listened to the MD of Ella's Foods. Ella's Foods is a baby food brand here in the UK, organic, hmm. part of a US conglomerate, um Haynes Celestial which is a big old multi-multi-billion pound, lots of different food and beverage brands, generally kind of healthy. And their biggest investors are BlackRock Capital, the world's largest investment fund. Yep. So the MD of Ella's Foods is nagging away, saying, I want to, I want to go for certain... But BlackRock is not, 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 is not, not the most positive company in the world, though, isn't it, um, from what I understand? Or, well, uh, well... So Ellis Food <laughs> is agitating to become B Corp, finally gets permission to go for it, yep. goes for it. And it's shown that its profitability has gone up and all these positive things. So I was asking him now, how are you finding the other food, the other companies within the group? Are they certifying and so on? Where's the pressure coming from for them to certify and so on? And he said that the pressure is really coming from BlackRock. They're the ones who want the certification to happen. So this isn't to say that BlackRock Capital and Larry Fink are suddenly kind of angels in heaven. No. But actually what they're talking about anyway is very, very much purpose-driven businesses. They're driving the kind of the corporate responsibility, B Corporation, environmental considerations, purpose into their investment decisions, into his CEO letters. Mm -hmm. Now, if you dig down into BlackRock's voting record on environmental stuff, then, you know, things start to fray. Mm. Well, maybe they're changing. Maybe they're changing because the whole financial industry is changing as well, isn't it? They have to uh, put into their investments, they have to show that uh, they take basically climate action and sustainability into account, right, for their investments, from what I understand, at least in the UK. 
it's just, that is American. never coming. So yeah. I think it was just about last week or the week before that mm. the halfway mark was passed in the world for all the funds under investment, which I think the number 42 trillion comes to mind, which is more money than I've got. But um, you'll be surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. But apparently that, <laughs> that, that represents... So anyway, the, the the number that was passed was that 50, over 50% of the world's investments now contain clauses relating to environmental considerations. Hmm. The tipping point has been reached. Now, Larry Fink, the biggest, baddest boy in world capitalism, right? Running BlackRock Capital, the world's biggest investment fund. I mean, this guy, you know, this is Lord Voldemort of... <laughs> of, of kind of capitalism, right? You think, oh, this guy's going to be stripping stripping the world of its of its natural resources, and he's he's not he's not talking in those ways because, as I understand it, every year he would go fishing to a lake, I think, in Montana with his mates. Yeah, you know, all billionaires, of course, all yeah. presumably on their private jets, all going fishing. And they're sitting year after year. They go for their weekend away each year at the same time. And he starts to notice there are fewer fish. The trees are different. The weather's different. And this is years ago. And he was noticing this stuff and saying, what's going on here? And starts to investigate it. And starts to investigate it and starts to see, oh, my God, this is happening. This is now an acute risk to our investment portfolio. And unless a company is actively managing climate risk they are failing in their fiduciary duty so you know whatever the motivation is on there is actually serious push and activity coming from these places that traditionally you would not expect you expect it to be the Greta Thunbergs and the school kids and the mm-hmm. university students yeah, yeah. it's not you've got this activity you've got Bill Gates writing books flawed and simplistic and over-reliant on science as it may be, mm-hmm. the fact that Bill Gates is putting his name to a book about how to avoid a climate true, catastrophe true. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. is significant. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that moves the dial overly much, but in terms of public perception, mm-hmm. you know, to have Mark Carney, the ex-governor of the Bank of England, shifting into creating a carbon an effective carbon trading market is amazing. Mm. It's really important. So so I think it's a very, very exciting time in terms of the global economic system being reset to account for carbon. I mean, really. Absolutely. Obviously, I see as well people like, you know, the former CEO of Unilever, which is not the most sustainable uh, company in the world. well, at least not the perception of it, but he's doing a lot as well. Is that just to be seen as being sustainable, you think, from his side? Or do you think he's actually meaning it just like the, the old gentleman from BlackRock? Uh, as I understand it, Unilever's got a lot of sustainable brands within it, and they're pushing mm-hmm. quite hard. Okay. Um, Danone, a very, very active um, CEO of Danone, mm-hmm. who actually got got pushed out because he went too far. He went too far, got yeah. the B Corp certification. They said, well, you're not profitable enough. And I think they took a shorter term view of profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Dan on and, and Unilever are sort of always toe to toe in the, uh, in the consumer uh, 
food industries. Um, but no, they're, they're, they're fascinating. I mean, these are fascinating things. I've sat, I've sat on Zoom calls. This is one of the great things about uh, the last year is that, you know, you sit on these Zoom calls attending meetings and conferences that you never would have gone to previously. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I was at one recently with, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, Mark Carney, uh, Richard Nod of Goldman Sachs, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, were hosting it. Mark Carney was giving a keynote speech. Uh, I watched people from Exxon, Rolls-Royce, uh, Bernard Looney, the CEO of BP, all talking in terms of the urgency of action. Now, criticise the activity, and you could see, no, you know, no, you could no, sort yeah, of see of course, through yeah, it. I'm like, just devil's advocate here, that's all, you know. It's... No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, we should, yeah, you know, yeah. we shouldn't say, oh, well, isn't that great? Bernard Looney's yeah. talking about green stuff. That's yeah. super. No, BP need to actually show it they need to stop the drilling and the exploration they need to you know there has to be active active stages steps taken towards decarbonization mm -hmm. but notwithstanding that the fact that in this conference there was effectively aimed as uh, at, at sort of the investment community the ceo of bp talking about the importance of effectively decarbonizing bp mm -hmm. total same thing Exxon, you know, it just wouldn't have happened five years ago. And they're all queuing up now to be yeah. seen to be saying the right thing. Now we've got to hold them to account. And this is where you get the sort of the activist shareholders getting the, you know, the agitators on the board of Exxon. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal stuff. The, the kind of the activity that's going on is really quite exciting. And the weird thing is, and I the unusual thing, I believe, is that it's happening. A lot of it's happening top down. Top down, huh? yeah, not from the bottom up. Basically, yeah, yeah. We're not being asked to carbon label our trips by clients explicitly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not at all. I think it's the right thing to do. We feel it's the right thing to do. We feel. I, that's I, I think it's amazing is. that you haven't put a price up. By the way, how how do you do that? Um, how is it possible that you keep the prices the same? You just absorb all the costs yourself, basically, as a company. Yeah, I mean, it's oh. it's you make, yeah, you make less profit. Yeah, but you figure that well, ultimately, if 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 this is as we believe it will be a a, a requirement or a, an expectation on the part of clients, then we'll have a competitive advantage. So we'll get more customers, and therefore the absolute profits will go up. Mm -hmm. um, but. But yeah, effectively, we're we're just you work around it. You build in if you build in, as I say, that one percent for the planet, yeah, and it's there next to your rent and your salaries and your marketing and everything else. It's something that has to be done, basically. Yeah, just you just it's you just you just build it in. I mean, it's just there as on your P and L, but it's separate from the trips and how much the trips cost to run and the margin we put on the trips. It's that's on a different part of the accounts. Huh. Um, so, you know, and even last year, and this, you know, this was an active, active decision. Last year was uh, 2020 was a, you know, an absolute catastrophe for the outbound travel industry, the international yeah, travel no, industry. Absolutely, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did have revenues because we had revenues that were from sort of January and February and a bit of March. Uh -huh. 
so come come December last year and our financial year end, we've got a bill from one percent for the planet. Well, we've got to spend one percent of the money we turned over back in January, February. Yeah, and so that must know, be that we, must be very hard because you know I, I know that that nonprofit organisations who really rely on people supporting it, it has gone down to like one percent of what it was previously, like almost zero. It's difficult to survive, isn't it? And it was, I mean, it was bad enough anyway, because yeah. obviously we're doing 1% of a much lower number than we'd expected. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were simply adding to our losses last year. It's not predicated on us being profitable, mm -hmm. that contribution. That's just, like I say, it's a cost of business. Yeah. So we sent it. And like you say, it's, it's bad enough. I wish, you know, our plan was that, that the amount we sent in 2019 would be superseded by the amount sent in 2020 and mm. so on mm -hmm. and it, it went very much the other way but absolutely we need to feel like that that community that project those trees are not reliant on our competence of running a business it mm. can't be based on profit and if we decide that we're going to go and spend all our money on gin that year that shouldn't have an impact on them it should have an impact on the forest that's tough spend your money on gin but the forest still gets planted amazing um what i'm going to do is i'm obviously going to edit it out a little bit and um i'll send you a yeah. Is there anything that that anything you want to take back, as you said? Oh, the whole thing about transparency—take that out. It was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a, a long conversation with um, Tom Robbins. This is I think this is another thing that's really uh, really exciting at the moment for me personally is that the converse, the kind of conversations I'm having with people in the press and and the sort of the relating to the travel industry writers and and thought leaders and so on within the industry and they're all you have wonderful conversations i mean like you know mm -hmm. i could sit here for days talking to yeah. you. tom robbins as well uh, helen you know all these conversations gone for for a long long time um and it's being pushed out into the public consciousness in a way that actually i don't think happened before it was this you know every travel editor i know of Yep. Is super keen on these issues. Much again, so that sort of top down, we're broadcasting down. It's not about, oh, quick, we better respond to public demand. The tone of the debate, the importance of this stuff, I think is coming from it's coming from the kids and the school kids. Yeah. Up to parents and grandparents. And it's coming from the press and it's coming from, you know, on high and advertising and you know, the sort of financial press and all sorts of unexpected places. It's a, it's a really unusual sort of revolution in 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 thought, and it's enormously exciting. Yeah, it's definitely something that people think about, and that's in on their minds, um, being in a way pushed all, all the time, which is which is great. It can only make a difference in the world, I would say. Um, you know, there's obviously people at but least are thinking they see something that's, that, that that doesn't that just shouldn't be that way be it plastic on the beach or be it like you know uh private private jets uh flown everywhere at least they think about it's now like maybe 
maybe they shouldn't do that. And that, that is something that will make a difference already, I think. And when companies like, like you are doing, making a difference, then, then that's just amazing. Yeah, I have a friend who runs a private aviation company. Right, okay. Um, which, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but He's probably he's, doing very well during the pandemic, you know. He's been not doing... I mean, uh, the... the, the no, it's not been easy because of Brexit as well. So they've had the double impact of Brexit yeah. and sort of being based in the UK trying to find anyway, So just just all disasters on yeah. disasters. But anyway, notwithstanding, he's totally got engaged in the idea of uh, of of the environment and and this idea that look, we're in bloody private aviation. We are the worst of the worst of the worst. We, you know, everyone in aviation, everyone in aviation pretends that it's not happening. You know, you ask anyone in aviation, it's like, well, aviation only contributes 2%. Yeah. That it's not 2% in the UK, is it? It's 8%, 9%, 2% globally. But you've got what, six, seven billion people who never get on a plane, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. who don't have air conditioning. You don't, you know, no, it's a very, very much smaller number of people who are contributing to it and they're all mostly up in the global north they're you know and so he's the one person who says yeah aviation eight percent of the carbon and of course the rest of the economy decarbonizes aviation is just going to appear as the kind of the worst the last person standing yeah that's the issue. It's not today. It's tomorrow and the day after. Mm. And they're all pretending that sustainable aviation fuels are going to ride and, and no, save the day. No, sustainable fuels I don't really believe in, to be honest with you. But I do believe that perhaps there can be electrical planes. They are already appearing. And uh, short, yeah. short, short haul. Short haul. Get rid of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there'll be a combination and some say it's sustainable aviation fuel and mm. some of this and some offset. But we've got to fly less. I mean, this is the other huge thing, of course. Sure. It's just... As consumers, we fly less. Mm. You just have to. From our point of view as a holiday company, go longer. Sure, go longer, absolutely. Don't travel every year. Don't take a two-week trip this year and a two-week trip next year. Wait till next year, take four weeks. Mm. Much better. It is you much better, better, as a matter of fact. It's a much better holiday as well, or whatever you want better to call holiday. it. Better yeah, holiday. Yeah. The economic... The economic effect impact of your travels yeah. is greater. Yeah. So you're going to have a better holiday. You're going to learn more about the place you are. You're going to be more integrated in it. Absolutely. As you're more integrated, you're going to be exploring further out. Your money's going to be going mm-hmm. from the hotel to the village and to the countryside. You know, as you get more confident and more familiar with your surroundings, you start ranging further away from your little center or wherever you're staying, and the money goes further. The overcrowding is reduced. The, you know, all of the things that we want in tourism mm-hmm. actually come down to the fact that people seem to have got into this weird habit of jumping on a plane for a weekend somewhere. Yeah, a weekend break. Because yeah. it's only 20 quid on Ryanair. Yeah, yeah. But if you take a train, it's like 300 pounds or something like that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, I really don't yeah. like that. I, I don't like that. that. Trains are so bloody expensive. Because people, what they think about, they see something, first thing they really think about is the cost. That's it. Especially with your family. I reckon. Yeah, although families, interesting for me with families is the kids are like, we don't want to fly, we're not going to fly. So more and more families are with us are coming to Spain via ferry or they're driving oh, really? down yeah. and all these things. Yeah. Because, and actually it's the kids. Often there's one of the kids will just be, oh, I'm not flying. And of course, as one family does that, mm-hmm. then all the families they know 
Because word spread, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. They say, oh, I went by by a car. It was amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if people stop thinking in terms of, you know, you can't compare flying to Madrid to driving to Madrid Mm -hmm. because obviously flying, you're going to be there a lot quicker. Sure. So stop, don't think of driving to Madrid as as a a point A to point B journey. Think of it as as a little bit of adventure. There's four days of of excitement before we get there. We're going to see a bit of France. We're going to the Pyrenees. We're going, you know, so if you just change the habit, change the perception of it. And what with working remotely or dispersed, come on, go away on holiday for four weeks, have two weeks of total holiday, and then a couple of weeks where you're working in the mornings and you're playing in the afternoons. Mm. You know, it's all doable. It's definitely doable. So that was the podcast with Tom Thomas Power of Pura Aventura. His company's website is pura-aventura.com. You can find much more information and the latest news on sustainable.news. And you have been listening to Peter, Peter de Vries. Thank you very much for doing so. And please do not forget to tune in next time.